take every day in stride. As a kid that's grown up in the small town on a farm, I think you have the opportunity to to be what you want to be. But at the same time, you're limited at, at what resources were given to you at a young age. But, you know, every day that you go out the, the best you can and you make people important, that's really the opportunities that that help you grow. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Community Good, the podcast that shares powerful lessons to help you navigate the life you want. I'm your host, Marnie Andes. In this episode, you'll hear from Sam Beveridge, an avid cyclist who knows all too well that your life can change in an instant. Sam lost his leg in a hunting accident on January 28, 2022. Having competed in several marathon mountain bike races, such as the Leadville 100, losing a leg could be viewed as devastating. And while it is a challenging road to travel, you'll learn from Sam that losses shouldn't hold us back. And now, my conversation with Sam Beveridge. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. It's funny because we had to like catch up before this because we hadn't even talked to each other for a number of years. So I'm just, I'm so happy you're on my podcast. I am too. It's, I'm excited to catch up on, what is it? I don't know, 30 years of maybe not catching up soon enough, but I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Right. Right. Well, thank you. I, I have to share this story um, to sort of tee this up to get our conversation going. I remember years ago, first of all, you are somebody who I think is up for anything. That That's how I remember you. It's like, Sam's the guy that's up for anything. He'll do, he'll try anything. And I remembered this when did you, you either won junior Olympics in speed walking, or I don't remember what it was, but all I remember is asking you, I was like speed walking. We don't even compete in that in high school. By the way, Sam grew up you know, I've already shared with the audience, you know, you shared, you grew up in the same similar nearby small town as I did. We didn't do speed walking, but you found out that it was an event in junior Olympics and you went for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was when I was uh, 12, 11 or 12. And we always participated in the junior Olympics and we'd, we'd load up the van and we'd head to Columbus, Nebraska for the annual state junior Olympics. And, and, uh, my, myself, my brother, a number of local kids would, would sign up for the races. And honestly, I would run the hundred and the 200. And these kids from this little town of Omaha, Nebraska, would spank my bottom for lack of uh, uh, a better description of it. And so I would try and do all the things that they did not like to do. And so what was I good at? I was good at the 300 meter hurdles. I was good at the 800. I was good at the things that everyone else hated to do. And then one day I was sitting there and there was the race walk. And there were like two or three people in this thing. And it was about a mile walk, I believe. You got showered every lap by the hose. And it just looked like something, heck, I'll just sign up and do it for something to do as I sat there. And honestly, the first time I did it, I knew nothing about it. I lapped the field and I was on my way to the National Junior Olympics in race walking. And so by 
the second year that I did it, I think I was 13 at the time. We went to Provo, Utah for National Junior Olympics, and I competed in the national race walking on the blue <laughs> Chevron track. <laughs> I mean, this is stuff that I remember about you. I was like, from Sutherland, Nebraska, <laughs> Sam Beveridge is almost a national speed walker or you said race uh, walking i thought it was called speed walking but that's either funny. way you're you're hustling <laughs> heel right. toe heel toe <laughs> right you tried to teach me one time years ago too For i think sure. I, I tried to get into it but i that's how i remember you and so like when we got reconnected and stayed in touch actually crazy enough just even through facebook i started to watch something else that you started getting into which was cycling and i mean Listen, before we even started recording the podcast, before we got on together, I had done ooh, a whopping 20 miles on my stationary bike, which used to feel like, oh, my God, that's a major milestone. But then I would watch something that you would do. And I think, oh, my God, this guy's like doing crazy races. So where when did you get started doing that? Because that was something you didn't do growing up either. Right. Absolutely. I think is if you would have done it growing up in, in our neck of the woods, you probably would have been run over by a semi or a, <laughs> or a tractor for lack of a, a better, better reason. Just because, I mean, what did we have? We had one highway and 9 million dirt roads. And if you had any sort of bike, it was already flat tires because of all the sambers that we had out there. So it just wasn't part of the, it wasn't part of the, the scene, if you will. And so I think for me, I really got into cycling later on in life. You know, I went to the University of Nebraska, um, played a little bit of intramurals, but that really just wasn't my thing, right? I grew up playing sports. I grew up watching football. I grew up doing all the things. But for me, playing the team sports didn't really have that jive to me anymore once I left the high school scene later on in life. I started to feel like I needed to do a little working out. And so um, started going to the gym, lifting weights. And, and, you know, as you said earlier today, you know, I always did the things no one else would do. I started going to cardio blast and I started doing all the kind of the dance around classes. And next thing you know, I went from the back row to the front row and I loved just jamming out, you know, and getting <laughs> after it. Um, through that, I evolved into a spinning classes and somebody I remember saying, you know, you'd be really good at triathlon. I was like, yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, I can finish with the best of them in a spin class. So why wouldn't I do a triathlon? And so um, I slowly evolved into kind of the triathlon scene. And, and as I did that, um, I had some success maybe in some of the early sprint divisions and, and that. Um, but then I was kind of faced with um, the opportunity to become a father. And, and as I became a father, the idea of doing an Ironman just kind of eluded me because why would I do one triathlon when I could just jump into Ironman? So, um, you know, that's the kind of crazy thinking, I guess I paralleled right away. Um, and so I start, kept the biking going, but I didn't do the swimming and running. And I met a group of guys that just always had a great time. We would meet every Tuesday. We would ride a group ride of 40 miles. We would go to the, the sushi restaurant. We would have beers and we would have sushi. And these guys would tell the most amazing stories about their bike trips 
to bike races and doing all these things. And I thought, well, I should do that too. And so then it slowly evolved from one night a week riding 40 miles to two nights a week. And then it was, I signed up for my first mountain bike race and I challenged my friend that I would beat him. Right. And I think I managed to be finish a two hour race in three hours. And I thought I was king of the world. So the next second race I ever did was the Leadville 100. I mean, why not? Like I could do it. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I think that was probably the best, best way to go into that first race at Leadville because I think uh, I finished it in 11 hours and 15 minutes, my first time doing it. Um, and, and now I've, I can accomplish that thing in, in eight hours to eight and a half hours on a general basis. And I've accomplished it 12 times, right? It's just one of those things where I don't know, you just kind of dumb luck and just, hard-headed small town farm boy that gets into it and slowly starts to build up a passion and a desire to be better like we don't know any different honestly marnie like that's the way we were raised and so that's how i kind of got into cycling um it evolved from mountain bikes to road bikes to gravel races whatever it was to me it was all fun it gave me an opportunity to exercise. It gave me an opportunity to meet amazing people, whether they were doctors, hedge fund managers, uh, lawyers, construction workers, you name it. Everyone is the same person on a bicycle. You might not ever know what they look like beyond underneath their helmet until you meet them for a burger at a happy hour and go, who are you? And they'll be like, oh, I'm Tom. Oh, I had no idea. I've only <laughs> ridden beside you for three years, ugly mug. Right. But, but, you know, so that's how it kind of grew for me. And that's always been, for me, it's always been about kind of that self, self-desire to be better. And it's always been about being around people and sharing experiences that can, that can give you an enrichment in life that's pretty awesome. Um, and that's kind of where the biking started and that's where it is today. And so I really didn't start riding the bike until I was probably 28 to 30 years old, to be honest with you. Yeah. You hear stories of people picking up something later on that they didn't do as a kid, but it's been fun watching you to be Thank able to you. see that. Thank you. Well, and then, and then January yeah. of this year hits. And you have a substantial change in your life. Right, right. So January 28th was the day. It was a nice Friday afternoon or Friday morning, excuse me. I, uh, I was utilizing the work from home optionality that, that COVID has provided us. And, and that landed me in a, in a goose blind up in Brighton, Colorado. Uh, beautiful morning lots of geese flying. It was going to be a very successful hunt. And honestly, it, it was a successful hunt until around 11 o'clock. I just finished up a, uh, a Zoom meeting with uh, some of my, my customers. Uh, they were actually from New York and they'd never really understood hunting yet. They were listening to all my buddies make goose calls and they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I hung up the phone uh, a group of geese flew in. Uh, we had a shoot. I basically sat there, took some pictures and watched. 
Um, after we shot, you know, I, I got out of my blind, which was, was laying on the ground and, and standing in front of my blind and sent my dog Lulu, uh, a black lab out onto the far left wing to receive a goose for me. Uh, that was what she's born and bred to do and just loves it. So I sent her out and as she did that, she charged out of my blind and, and stepped on my 12 gauge. Um, that ended up firing and shooting uh, my lower right leg off just above my ankle at about two feet away. Uh, and it really didn't leave anything to, to guess what was wrong, or what was even left. I mean, it just was, it was what it was and it wasn't anything that I would ever peep, but there it was. Luckily, I had a good group of guys with me. One of those guys ended up having a, a field tourniquet, and we got that on my leg right away um, to, to slow the bleeding. And as you know, Marty, being out in uh, you know, the center of a pivot and during a snowstorm, it's not the easiest place to get out of. So luckily, one of them had a great big pickup. They got me in the back of that pickup, got me to the side of the road, got me into an ambulance that showed up. That ambulance, I don't think, had any idea what they were picking up at the time because in all reality, it should have been a flight for life with the severity of the injury and the blood loss I'd already experienced. But, you know, the EMT guy, Mike, he was my life and soul, the only dude in my world, right? And he told me he was going to take care of me, and I believed him wholeheartedly. I gave him my wallet, said, here's all my information. I grabbed it. He just said, we're going to do what we can. I grabbed his belt loop. I said, I'm going to hold on to you, brother, and I'm just going to keep talking. He's like, that's exactly what I want you to do. And away we went. Um, we may have had to make a decision whether we were going to go to Greeley, Colorado, or Denver, Colorado at the time. It was 30 minutes versus 45 minutes. They were a little concerned about Denver traffic, as you can imagine. So we decided to go to Greeley to that trauma center. We got there. Um, I was still coherent when we rolled into the ER, which I don't think they were surprised. They were super surprised to see. Um, at that moment, they put in, I think, six units of blood. Um, through the course of that night, they worked on me for about eight hours trying to, to save me, save my foot that had like a couple pieces of, of skin left holding it on. And then also just stabilizing me. And they put in, I believe, 11 units of blood. And then your body carries about 12 is, is kind of the deal. And so, so Sammy was a little bit having a bad day. And, um, and so they got me stabilized. Everything was great. Uh, not great, but they ended up inducing me into a coma for, for pain management. And the next day, um, ended up having to wake me up and and we had to make that decision of what to do with my foot um, two options one was amputation and I would be walking in two months or we could proceed to try and save my foot um, grow cadaver bone as as a leg and and then have what was aesthetically pleasing my original foot back in place but at the end of the day, that probably would have been another year and a half of surgery, um, therapy, and that 
to only have a foot that was dysfunctional, right? I wouldn't have had nerves. I wouldn't have had tendons. I wouldn't have been able to really utilize the foot. So for me, like the minute they woke me up, I talked to the surgeon. He was a great dude. He'd spent a lot of time in what they called the sandbox in Afghanistan. So the front lines dealing with bombs and all that. And he said his, his recommendation was to take the leg. And sure enough, I said, take the leg right away. I mean, to me, it was clear. Just like anything else you'd ever do in life, whether you're delivering a calf at two in the morning on the farm or, or what have you, Marty, I mean, you, you know the deal. You just get it done. And you don't have a lot of people to ask. You don't have a, you don't have a, uh, a committee that says yes or no. It's just you and you. And, and so then we made that decision. And then the next morning, I had my leg um, that was on a Sunday morning by Wednesday, they'd had me sewed up, um, by Thursday, they asked me, uh, if I wanted to go home, I said, absolutely. And they said, if you can walk around that nurse's station and you can take a shower, we'll send you home. Well, I did that about 30 minutes. The first time I tried to stand up, I, I might have fainted because I hadn't been upright in so, so many days, but I did it, right? And so I was home by Friday. So I was really only in the hospital a week, uh, did a lot of in-home therapy, which ended up being, you know, people at my house 24 hours a day, mostly family, just overlooking me, watching me take uh, kind of, you know, take, take my vitamins and that. I wasn't sent home with any, any of the NSAIDs or the opiates, right? Like I just, I was good. I mean, in hindsight, I probably wish I would have had an opiate or two just to, to chill it out a little bit, but modern medicine, the way they did, I mean, I just rolled with it. Uh, and so that's what happened to me. Uh, but mentally, like I just rolled with it. Like it, Everybody was like, oh, you must feel terrible. Like, what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, I was for a minute there. I was a little freaked out because I never, I don't even know what not having a leg is about. Are people going to look at me funny, things like that? But at that moment, right, like, I knew what I needed to do. I knew that I needed to show up for my two boys. I have Jack that's 16 and Gage that's 13. They're both playing hockey. Jack was in Chicago. The minute he found out the news, he was scared, but he's like, you know what? My dad wants me to play hockey. So I'm going to play hockey the rest of this weekend. He blew it out. Gage, same thing in Denver. He blew it out, right? And that's just, to me, that was, that was the epitome of why I, I bounced back and the answer, which, man, I'm doing a good job in life here. My kids are responding exactly the way I want them to. Or they should in my mind. And you know what? That's pretty awesome. Like right. the rest of this shit stuff can go to the wayside, right? right? Like I don't care about, you know, my new car. I don't care about how I'm going to get that work done at, at the office anymore. It's, are my boys good? Are my, is my family good? And now how do we grow from this? Right. And so that's kind of where... Um, I've kind of taken it and it's continued to elaborate since then. Well, I think about, well, 
first of all, I being able to hear the story as we're recording the full story. I want to go to your point where, you know, you just move on because a lot of people would look at that and go the loss. Like, what are you going to do? The fact that you've lost a leg, look what he used to do. He did. He was into cycling. He was always up for doing something. And I think people see the loss. There's another side of this that I see, which is people have excuses of why they can't do stuff. And that's what I actually like to dig into because I think when I started to see you posting pictures of getting back on the bike and doing other things, I mean, I'm that person that's like, don't tell me your foot hurts. Don't tell me your back hurts. Don't, I mean, you either want to do it or you don't want to do it. You're either going to make it a priority or you're not going to make it a priority. I just, but there's got to be those times where you're like, how do you get yourself up? I mean, how do you do that when you've got people like either looking at you like, God, that's such a loss or you're my inspiration, Sam. I mean, what do you do every day? You know, I, if I back up a minute, when I can't kind of came to reality of, of what was going on, the night that I was basically brought out of coma and asked what to do with my leg, that coming back out of coma, I saw the light. And it's the craziest thing you can ever experience. It was like, you know, like you're, you're in meditation or you're at the end of a, a yoga class. And it's like, can you focus on, 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 the, on the light or that triangle up ahead? And all of a sudden it was there. Like, and I saw something come through it. And I describe it as, as the rhino, right? Because as I looked through the light, I saw this white prism way beyond the horizon and this something coming through it, a shadow. And as it came at me, I remember just kind of moving my head to the right and it just going right over my shoulder. So for me, there was this kind of this spiritual acceptance of all the things that pulled it all together and made the clarity that way that in itself gave me so much strength just to kind of run with right because it like it it was quiet there was nothing the only thing i saw in the hospital room was the clock ticking the seconds and i can still remember the exact time and all the things like and since then it's just kind of how do you do it every day how do you wake up and then how do you find motivation to be that better person some of it is is just naturally who we are and who we were programmed to be as as kids on the farm right what rub the dirt off you know get up take care of yourself like there's no one to call there's no one to help you and i think just some of those initial practices of being a kid and adapting to that nature of life. And then knowing that people really account, count on you, whether it's my boys or all of a sudden when I could finally read my phone, I had hundreds of text messages from all of these people. And all I wanted to do was let them know how important each and every one of them was to me. Whether it was the messages in my phone 
whether it was the Instagram posts or the Facebook posts, like the GoFundMes, all the things that people did in the two or three days, like I was completely out of commission. Like, oh my gosh, talk about moving, talk about rewarding, talk about creating that life of legacy that you always dream of having. You know, I think of my grandfather when he passed away, right? We had to shut down school because the Sutherland High School was the only thing large enough to facilitate the opportunity for my grandfather, Alex, to have a funeral. And I just want to replicate that in my world, in my space, in my place. And all of a sudden, social media and all these outlets allowed that to happen. And I got to experience it in a living fashion. And so now, as I go through each day, the days I don't want to get up, the days that my leg freaking hurts, uh, the days that I just want to eat seven Snickers instead of actually do something, right? Like, I'm okay with that. I can get up, I can move, I can do, or I can also find grace to eat seven Snickers and be okay with life. Like, I'm not having parts to somebody else's beat anymore. And I think that's where losing my leg has continued to become a blessing each and every day for me to kind of tell my story and, and also motivate others. You know, the fact that you say you've read my Facebook article, like that's it. Right. And if I can get one person off the couch to go run a marathon, I've accomplished that. And my friend Angie the other day, she ran the Minneapolis Marathon. And she wrote Sammy Bev 2.0 as I renamed myself as a second version of myself. Like the fact that that happened, I mean, we're, we're making the world a little bit better. And that sounds cheesy and all the, all the stuff, but that's what lights me up. It's how do you create that legacy similar to, to all the people in our lives? Right. Well, I, I don't think it's cheesy. I mean, I think, you know, you and I, even before we started recording, just talking about, you know, how we see life and which is part of the why I wanted to have the conversation with you. I'd always enjoyed conversations with you 20, 30 years ago. And so that hasn't changed. And I think about, actually, I think about what you just said, which is like this 2.0. I think there's a lot of people that are listening that are thinking, that they're either in a 2.0, they need to get to a 2.0, but they don't, but they don't have like the monumental. I mean, you lost a leg mm. and it, you're calling this your 2.0, but I, but I wonder like, what else have you learned from that? I mean, what other things are actually driving the 2.0, the second phase for you? For me, the 2.0, there's a couple things. One, it's it's just this rebirth and this refreshment, right? And it allows a refocus of what I might have always been doing. Like you talk about my biking, right? It was always like, well, now what's he going to do? What's next? What's next? And I think as you look at that piece so many people are in their lives going, well, I need something to happen in order to go from A to B. I need that to happen. 
you know, like, I'll just be honest. Like I quit drinking nine years ago. Guess what? I didn't get a DWI. I don't think that I necessarily was an alcoholic. I wanted a better life. And so I took this break. I gave myself this experiment of what do I need to do in order to be a better person, to feel better each day, and to grow um, as an example for my boys. Next thing you know, my 30-day exercise of taking a break became 90 days, became six months, became one year, became two years, on and on and on. And it had nothing to do with something that needed to push me from A to B, right? And now as you, as I have conversations with people, it's like, man, I wish I could quit drinking. Well, then do it. Like, that's the saddest excuse ever. Sure. It's everywhere, right? The minute I wake up, it's probably an alcohol ad on my, on my Instagram. It's every happy hour. It's every Christmas party. It's every Thanksgiving, right? That's fine. People can enjoy it. They use it as therapy. They use it as a, as a motivator, as a, as a dating pill, right? Like, how do I talk? I'm just so nervous. Well, guess what? Like, grab it and go. Like, you know, and that's just one of the things. And so for me, the 2.0 is just really this transition. Okay. Yeah. This time I actually have a reason to change or I get to a reason to change. I get to ask for some grace from people as I make a transition, but I've lost a leg. Like my Instagram looks great as you've seen it, but there were six months in there that I didn't, that I was on crutches. I would bike, I would take amazing pictures, and I couldn't walk on my leg for three days because I had inflammation and um, some, some sutures that had broken loose and some bone that was floating around in my leg causing massive pain in, the, in a phantom way. So like when you have an arch when your arch cramps up or your toes are frozen, that's one thing. But when you don't have an arch to stretch out, that's a whole nother one, yo. And it starts to really mess with your mind because all of a sudden you're like, gosh, I'm doing everything right, but it's just not getting better. And that's the same as drinking, it's marriage, it's all the things that I've probably stepped into right, wrong, and different. I wouldn't change one of those things because they've all made me better. But there's a chance that all of a sudden you do make a change and you look back and go, man, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Right. You yeah, know? there's so much there. There's like, I mean, there's so You could unpack a lot, right? Oh, man. There's so much. I, I do... I would love to hear, I mean, there's so much stuff that you've learned, obviously, and we could unpack a number of those things, but if there's a lesson that you've learned from going through this experience, and I know you're still in it. So by no means am I saying like you had a beginning and an end here, but is there a lesson there for you having gone through this? Time is priceless. Like, 
I just, I think of the things I could have done, should have done, would have done. Now, as my boys get older, as, as I get older, there's less time to do those things or have the ability to do those things. And so I think that shift of mentality doesn't change the, the hard work ethic. It doesn't change who you are as a good person, but it helps you bring the forward to the present and it helps you close some of those doors of the past that you may have kept open in fear that the future wasn't promising, you know, and it, as you're in that moment of presence, you just get to be, and it's okay not to, not to be the, I don't know, the richest guy or the, the most traveled guy or whatever you want to call it. You just get to be you. And as you get to be you, like <laughs> you start having fun with it, right? Like I, in a way I, I make fun of my leg, right? I call it the puppy of 2022, right? Like it's just a gift that you all of a sudden you're like, gosh, dang, I love this little guy. Like, <laughs> But I mean, it's just a good reminder every day. It's not the rubber band on my wrist that I snap myself with as a, as a penalty for not enjoying my moment, but it's like, Gosh, here it is, brother. Why do you right. think it's right now? It's you know they my processes. They think it's funny, right? They put the most awful colors on it. You know, I've had pink, I've had purple, I've had burnt orange. Like, no, I've not had any pretty ones. But that's the best part of it, right? Have fun in the moment. All right. Well, this will be interesting because what I want to transition to is what I ask all of my guests you know, you've shared a ton that I'd love to unpack more in a future episode if you're up for it. Um, but I'd love to, to at least end this one with a life lesson that you've, that you've learned and has had impact on your life and what you think might benefit those who are listening now. So some life lesson you'd love to share. You know, I guess for me, the life lesson is, to really just take every day in stride. You know, I think as a, as a kid that's grown up on a, in the small town on a farm, I think you have the opportunity to, to be what you want to be, but at the same time, you're limited at, at what resources were given to you at a young age. But, you know, every day that you go out and live the best you can and you make people important that's really the opportunities that, that help you grow, you know, and it's not necessarily what you know, it's who you know. But how do you know who you know? And it's really about making people feel important in, in your life and truly believing that. So for me, that opportunity has been that lesson in life that allows me to be better and always be and show up, be accountable. Right. And it's about being good to people. And as those people are good to you, you're going to have opportunities that just fall into your lap. You know, and you can look at it like, oh, free tickets to the abs game. You know, but how did you get there? Well, I might have went to, you know, their, their U8 
kids skating program and volunteered, you know, things like that, that are important to me that I know will help those little kids have a role model. And now that I don't have one leg, I'm even more of a visible role model to people. And so it's naturally a way that I can use this platform to accelerate that kindness piece. And I think everybody can use that. I mean, one day at a time and just do the things and be present. I mean, I love, I love all of that. I, um, this has been awesome. I mean, just the fact that I got to catch up with you, but also got to hear everything outside of, you know, just what I saw on social media or the way yeah. in which you and I might've connected from here and there. But if people want to connect with you, Absolutely. how can they connect with you? Would you just share that so that they can, they can, you do know, that? they can reach out to any one of my uh, social media pages. I mean, Instagram is Sammy Bev 2.0. Uh, Instagram is Sam beverage. And that's right. what's amazing about today's conversation is I get to hang out with one of the coolest people I know. <laughs> you, <you're, laughs> we've known each other for a long time. And I've, you know, I've always said that he has to say that every time he says he sees me, but no, this has been great. And I just, I can't thank you enough for being part of, of my podcast and sharing your story. Cause I know that's been inspirational to me. So back at you, you're always a motivator. You always have, and you continue to make me smile from from the back seat, and uh, it's fun to watch. So keep driving, girl. <laughs>